remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive that after three days I will rise again. Now, they didn't believe him. And you see this in the next verse. So they said, command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure. In other words, let's protect it. Let's guard it. Be made sure until the third day. Lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he's risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. And so Pilate said unto them, well, you've got your, your watch, your guard, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went, they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. They made it as sure as they could. That means they, they, they made it as tight, as, as difficult to open as possible. They put their guards in place and they put a seal upon the stone. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is being sealed. If you haven't, there's someone near you that you haven't yet met, haven't greeted them this morning at the very least. Would you turn and just, just shake their hand? Let them know that Jesus is alive. It's hard to stop at just one, isn't it? <laughs> and so is Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Amen. We are here on this day, not just in our regular Sunday morning worship service, and, and I don't mean to diminish uh, the sound of regular Sunday morning worship, because it should not be regular in the least. Uh, but today does carry added uh, importance and added significance for all of the services and the times of worship and fellowship and study. Uh, all of these find their foundation and relevance because of what it is that we're celebrating on this day. Amen. This day is the first day. Some of you aren't sure that you're happy about that because work happens on the second day of the week. You're looking more forward to the, the sixth day. But, uh, but being the first day of the week, it was, it was on the first day of the week that the Messiah, our Savior, God in flesh, had given his life on the cross and now is resurrected on the first day of the week. It was upon that event, the resurrection of the Lord, that hung all of the relevance and all of the significance and all of the impact of what we do every Sunday. And in every other time of worship and prayer and study and service. You say, but pastor, what about the cross? 
Don't we always go back to the cross? The cross is absolutely necessary and significant in the life of the Christian. For while the cross carries the significance of the payment of the penalty of our sin, it remains that place of death. Do you hear me? The man who lived, who loved, who gave, died on that cross in agonizing pain and torture. And for all the power that is found in the blood of Jesus, somebody say amen. There's power to cleanse, power to forgive, but in all of that power, in that blood, it still leaves him and everyone for whom he died in that place of death. Listen to what Paul said about the significance of the resurrection of Christ and the importance and impact upon the believer. He did not negate, nor did he diminish, the importance or the power of the cross. If there's any preacher that preached about the blood of Jesus, Paul was one who did that. It's found all through his writings. But Paul understood that the events of the cross, the events that happened on the hill of Calvary, it was leading somewhere. It was not just to remain at a point of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, Paul said, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also vain. Wow! That's some pretty powerful words. He didn't stop there. We're going to skip a couple verses. Let's go to verse 17. And he says, if Christ be not raised, then your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And he, and he finishes that portion up, and he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. I thank God for what he did, that he came and he gave his life on that cross. I thank God every day that his blood was shed, that I could find forgiveness and remission of my sin, but it still remains a place of death and dying. Only when he went into the tomb and three days later rose again, that's where it all culminates. That's where it all comes to its completion and fulfillment. And that place of death and dying led to a place of resurrection and hope and life. Hallelujah. If you're not going to get excited with me, that's all right. I'll be excited all by myself. I'm good with that. Because Resurrection Day is a day to celebrate and remember a new life that we have in Christ Jesus. Praise God, we do have a hope. Praise God, we, He is risen. Praise God, He is alive. 
Hallelujah. Now the death of Christ. This all happened because the teachings of Jesus were getting under some people's skin. His teachings were having influence. And those that were in places of influence didn't like somebody else influencing those people. They wanted to be the influencers. They wanted to be, the, I hate to do this, they wanted to be the TikTokers and all, all that stuff, the, the influencers of our day. His teachings were having impact. His miracles were gaining him notoriety and fame. They wanted, no, they, they, they needed Jesus to die, to shut him up, to stop him from teaching, to stop his miracles, to stop people from going to him. It's because of his miracles. We talked about it last week. It's because of Lazarus. A living, breathing miracle raised, him, raised from the dead by Jesus himself. And so they, needed, they decided we need to kill Lazarus too. <laughs> because many people were going and following Jesus because of the living testimony of Lazarus. And so to kill Jesus would be to quiet and, and end the perceived threat to their power and their influence, and, and so they sought to discredit Jesus at time and again by catching him in his words. But Jesus would have none of it. Time and again, he took their, their traps and turned them on themselves. He said, you're not going to get me in your, in your silly games. But somehow, in some way, the enemy entered into the heart of one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot by name. It was he who would betray Jesus for money. They came to get Jesus in the darkness of night, took Jesus as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The temple guards brought him to the Sanhedrin where he would be tried in their kangaroo court because they had already determined their ruling, and they only needed to pay the right witnesses to say just the right things. But it wasn't even because of the witnesses that they were able, in their own minds, to feel justified in condemning Jesus to death. No, in one final attempt, they tried to get Jesus to condemn himself. And so in Mark 14, verse 61... Jesus was holding his peace and, and answered them nothing. But one more time, the high priest asked him and said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, If you know your Old Testament, he said, I am. And he said, You shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. And it was at that point then the high priest ripped his clothes and said, why do we need any further witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And at that point, because they felt justified, they began to spit on him and to cut, uh, cover his face 
and to buffet him and said unto him, prophesy. And the servants did strike with the palms of their hands. It began right away. And from that point, now this is all happening overnight. They took Jesus in the night, in the darkness. And from there, Jesus was essentially tried three more times by Pilate, who, who they, they turned him over to. And, but Pilate didn't want the responsibility. He didn't want to have to deal with this mess. And so he, he after his questioning, sent Jesus to, to King Herod. And, and Herod was the king of the Jews at the time. And, 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 and when Herod uh, uh, had Jesus stand before him he only sought to mock jesus he, he wanted him to perform some miracle or sign in his presence and, and and when jesus would not do it he said i've, I've had enough of you go back to Pilate." and so Pilate had his second his second but jesus fourth trial that night but even then Pilate still not wanting the responsibility of this he gave the choice to the people you want me to release unto you Barabbas, who's a thief and a murderer among you? Or Jesus? Now, he didn't say this, but Jesus came to bring life. So they had their choice of life and death. And Pilate gave them that choice. And, and what do you think they chose? They said, give us Barabbas. Well, what do I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. It was they who cried, crucify him. And Pilate, again, trying to release the, 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 the responsibility of what was happening, he washed his hands literally of the matter. And the resulting event was to be the death of Jesus by crucifixion. And on that day, they wasted no time. They took Jesus to the hill of Golgotha, and they hung him on that tree, nailing his hands and his feet to the wooden cross. And there he died. And from there, we, we pick up and we see that, that Joseph of Arimathea, he was a wealthy man. He had a tomb that had been carved out. It was brand new, never used. And he begged the body of Jesus and and, and ask Pilate, can, can I please take him down and, and bury him in my tomb? And so Pilate gave leave and gave him the ability to do so, and they buried Jesus there. And they had to do that quickly because the, the high Sabbath was happening on that coming day. And so they couldn't do any work, and so they had to do it quickly before the night came. And so the next day, there was no work, but it was the day after. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember the deceiver said, while he was still alive, that, that after three days, I'm going to rise again. And so they, they began to, to work Pilate over. We, we just don't want any uprisings. We don't want anything else to happen, Pilate. You, you don't either. So, so just give us your, your seal of approval. Give us, give us the ability under your authority to set guards in place and put the seal 
the Roman seal upon it. And so he did. They set their guards in place. They, they sealed the tomb. And what that most likely means, and, this, and if, I hope that you get this right away, because this is what this sermon is based off of. When we talk about the fact that they sealed the tomb, the most likely version of what that means is that they would have put some sort of rope or chain in place and had the, the melted wax with the seal, the image of the Roman governor stamped within it, much like the picture that you see here. That seal was not really there to make it more difficult to get in, though that might have been a corollary benefit, but rather it would have been placed there as a sign to discourage anyone from trying to get in, from trying to rob the grave, as they would worry that the disciples would do so. How would the seal do that? Break the seal would be to come against the full authority of the governor and the power that he could bear down upon you. If you were to break that seal, you would be coming not only against Pilate, but against all of Rome. It would be a direct challenge to their authority. To break the seal without direct authority of Pilate would bring one in direct conflict with Pilate. You would be putting your own life at risk. I hope you understand what's happening in this moment. Give us your authority so that it's not just the Sanhedrin that's doing this. Give us your authority, Pilate, so that if anybody, the disciples especially, if they come to take the body of Jesus, if they break that seal, that they're coming against you. That they're coming against the might of Rome. And they wanted it to be a discouragement. Because they weren't worried about Jesus breaking the seal from the inside. Anybody understand that this morning? From their own words. They, they didn't believe that Jesus, that he would rise again the third day. They only believed that the disciples would try to make it look like he rose again the third day. And so they did everything they could and sealed the tomb. But it was on resurrection day. <laughs> on that first day of the week, on that Sunday morning in Matthew 28, verse number 2, that behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, those guards that were there, they became as dead men. It wasn't somebody coming from outside that was doing this. Hallelujah, there was power coming from within. There was power that was coming from inside the tomb. Hallelujah, that was resurrecting. That was bringing new life. And nothing was going to stop it from coming out. It doesn't matter. Hallelujah. 
It doesn't matter who it, that, that they attempted to keep others out. Because on that early Sunday morning, the seal was broken. In all of their blind efforts, they sealed the tomb, setting guards in place, but they missed the point. They missed the point. Because they didn't trust the words of Jesus, nor did they trust the intent of the disciples. And so they did what they could to keep people out. They only sought to keep people out. And so the seal was broken by the power of God. Not of any man. You know, I said just a few minutes ago that only under the authority of Pilate could that seal be broken. Let me, let me amend that quickly. Because if there's a greater authority, that seal could be broken. Hallelujah, I've come to tell somebody this morning that there is indeed a greater authority at work today. Hallelujah, the world has tried to put a seal on your life. They've tried to put their mark on your existence. But I've come to tell somebody that there's a greater authority at work today, and he's here in the house this morning. The world is trying to put its seal upon you. They're trying to keep Christ's work at bay in your life. Because if you, like Miranda, hallelujah, if you have repented of your sins and you have been baptized in Jesus' name, you have crucified the old man and you have buried him with Christ in baptism. But there is promise. Everybody say promise. There is promise of a resurrection that a new man will rise to walk in newness of life. There's a promise. But the world is trying to place a seal so that the new man stays buried, so that there's no hope of the resurrection. You, they keep trying to get you to go back to the old ways, to the old lifestyle, to talk the old words, uh, to live the old life. Uh, that's what the world's trying to do. Uh, they're trying to box you in and keep you in a place uh, that you are submitted to their authorities, uh, to their powers, to their influence. I'm not going to try to get all political. There's, too, there's not enough time to do it. But you know as well as I, without even me even trying to give you specifics, that all this political correctness and wokeness is trying to shut you up. It's trying to box you in. Hallelujah. But all it's trying to do is trying to stop Christ from coming in. That's what the seal does, right? Keeps what's outside from coming in because they're not worried about what's inside coming out. And Christ is trying to make his entrance into your life. And the world is trying to place the seal upon you. Don't break the seal. If the seal gets broken, then you're going to be at odds with the world. If the seal gets broken, then you might come under cancel culture 
If the seal gets broken, then you might have some people come against you and your beliefs and the way you live. The world places its seal upon you. You know what I'm talking about. You've had to watch your words. You've had to think a little bit more deeply about the things that you want to say. I'm trying not to get political. I'm truly not. But I'm trying to show you that the world is trying to work its influence on you. That's why in all of your media, that's why there's such a big uproar about this Disney thing. Because, because they're trying to work their influence on you. Media is doing that for generations now. I'm, this is nothing new. That's why they put the things out that they do. That's why they, they have such, such uh, uh, powerful influences because that's what they're doing. They're trying to, to work or put their seal upon you. And Paul tells us that we ought to be very careful. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. They're trying to place their seal upon you. We're going to tell you that, that if you break that seal, you're, you're going against their authority. You've got to live this way. You've got to agree with our thoughts, our philosophies. All the while, their seal is attempting to keep Jesus from making entrance into your life. Because if Jesus... Has, a, has his way, that seal of their authority, that seal of their approval, that seal of their philosophies and ways of living, that seal will be broken. And when Jesus makes his way in, there is new life that is to be found. But when Jesus fills your life, when Jesus makes his way into your life. Praise God. You need not worry about who's attempting to place their seal upon you because Jesus is the one that will break the seal of their authority and bring it to nothing. Why? Because he is the supreme. He is the great one. He is the mighty God. And there is no higher authority than him. I don't need their authority to open up. I don't need their authority to live and walk how I choose to live and walk. No, I walk and live under the authority and direction of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. No principality or power was able to keep Jesus buried. <laughs> In fact, every principality, every power will bow its knee at the very name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And when the world has done everything it can to place its seal upon your life, to try and keep Jesus from getting in. To try and keep Jesus from changing your life completely. Oh, it's okay if you go to church. Oh, somebody preached with me this morning. 
It's okay if you go to church. It's okay if you clap your hands even. It's okay as long as you aren't changed when you leave. The devil has no fear over somebody who is under the word of God and leaves unchanged. The devil's not worried about somebody who is, who is unmoved by the spirit and the power and presence of God. But those who will respond like the stone, who will begin to shake under the power of God, those who will be moved under the power of God, those are the ones whom the devil, whom the enemy of your soul, those are the ones whom the devil fears because when you begin to move under the power of God, change is going to happen. The seal will be broken. Hallelujah. And new life will happen. Praise God. But the Lord does not seek only to remove or break the seal of the world upon your life. Because when the seal of the world is cast off, when their authority holds no more sway or power, there is a different seal that must be placed upon our lives. You see, it was 50 days after the Passover that the Feast of Pentecost was happening. And on the day of Pentecost, hallelujah, there were 120 people gathered in an upper room. They were doing what Jesus told them to do to tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And Jesus spoke in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when that day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and began, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move in that house. Praise God. It was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. <laughs> Folks, it's a different seal that was being placed upon their lives. They weren't worried about the Romans anymore. They weren't worried about the Sanhedrin anymore. Hallelujah, because now there was a seal upon their lives that happened 50 days after the Passover on the Feast of Pentecost. Praise God, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God was given, poured out upon man for the first time and upon those who received it, they were sealed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And so we begin to see the disciples preaching and proclaiming. We see the disciples now healing people in the name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, a lame man was healed in Jesus' name. 
And when the Sanhedrin brought the disciples that, uh, uh, that did this, they, they brought them before them and they, they admonished them. They, they came against them. They, they told them, you don't need to be preaching in this name. But what we find is their declaration as, as they would respond to the Sanhedrin council. They declared that it was in the name of Jesus this miracle was performed. In Acts 4, verse 12, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The Sanhedrin sought to place their seal upon the disciples and cause them to understand from what they were trying to do. But they did not understand that there was already a on them that came from a higher authority and a greater power. Hallelujah. They had received the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God was inside of them. And the Apostle Paul, he made note of this seal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, I'm going to give you just a, a, a few quick uh, portions of scripture in 2nd Corinthians 1 21 Paul says now he which establisheth us with you in Christ has anointed us that's God hallelujah verse 22 and that God has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts Do you understand what's happening when you receive the Holy Ghost? What's happening is, is that, that when Jesus comes in your life, the seal of the world, the seal of, of the enemy is broken and removed out of the way, and Jesus comes and abides in you. But then he places a seal upon you. And that seal is designed to tell the devil, don't mess with this guy. Don't mess with this gal. There's power inside of here. There's authority in here. Hallelujah. Enemy, if you're going to try to come against this soul, if you're going to try to come against this child of God, hallelujah, there's a higher power that you are picking a fight with. Uh, and I've come to tell somebody this morning that Jesus is on your side. Uh, he is going to fight your battles. Uh, he's going to step up for you uh, against the enemy of your soul. Uh, praise God, because he has sealed you with the power of his spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 12, Paul. He says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed. Everybody say sealed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 
Hallelujah. That just simply means that he put his seal upon your life and he's protecting you, keeping you, bringing you so that one day you will make heaven your home. Catch that in there? He's put his seal upon you. And in putting his seal upon you, he's given you the earnest of your inheritance, the down payment of the heavenly home that you will receive. He's given you the earnest of your inheritance because now he has sealed you. You're his child. Don't mess with my child, he says. (laughs) And he's given you a hope that will not pass away. Praise God. He's given you joy unspeakable and full of glory. He's given you peace that passes understanding. Praise God. He has given you so very much. Hallelujah. And he has sealed you. By his spirit. In just a few chapters after that, Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, the Pharisees just wanted the the tomb sealed just for the three days. Pilate, after three days, I don't care. I just want to prove his word wrong. I just want to prove his word false. Just three days. Folks, the enemy is trying to tell you some lies, that you're never going to be good enough. He's trying to tell you that you're never going to earn it, that that you don't deserve the mercy of God. You don't deserve... His love. But I've come to tell you that when he puts his seal upon you, that it's not just for three days. That it is until he has, until he calls you home, until that day of redemption. Because the seal is only on there as long as it's needed. Do you hear me? They only needed it for three days. Jesus puts his seal upon you until he calls you home. And at that time, it is no longer needed because you have the fullness of your inheritance in that moment. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand together this morning. The seal is only taken off when it's no longer required. Folks, there's coming a day when we will cast off this flesh and the world around us. There is an eternal reward being prepared for you and I. Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans 8, verse 11. He said, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. What does that mean? Hallelujah. That means that there's coming a day 
praise God, that he's going to call us out of this place. There's coming a day that as he said, and we're going to read just in just a moment, that this mortal will put on immortality. There's coming a day, hallelujah, when we'll be called home to be with him in the air. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, Paul says this, I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. He said, behold, I show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible, this flesh, this body, shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sin? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You need not fear death, nor the penalty of death. If Christ dwells in you, he will quicken you in that moment. Hallelujah. If Christ dwells in you, then you have already the earnest of or the, the earnest of your inheritance, which shall be fulfilled on that day in just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Some of you have let the world, its leaders, its influencers place their seal upon your life. I've come to tell you this morning, he's risen. He's risen. He's broken the seal of sin. He's made way for new life to be found in you. chapter 1 verse number 3 he said blessed be the God father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy has gotten us again sounds like being born again folks <laughs> he's begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible undefiled that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God, that's that seal, <laughs> through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, anybody go through any trials, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor at the glory at the and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And verse number nine receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a resurrection that is promised. A resurrection that is promised through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he told him to repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He didn't stop there. He said, the promise is unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. There's a promise of resurrection. And the resurrection that we get to partake of here and now is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's what breathes life into that new man. If you haven't received the Holy Ghost like they did in the book of Acts where, where God filled them with his spirit and they began to speak with other tongues, you can receive the Holy Ghost this morning right now. Right here in this place. Church, come pray with these.